This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. Okay, our interviewee today is one Neil Pasricha. He's a New York Times best-selling author of 10 books and journals. We actually stumbled across him Oh, about four or five weeks ago, maybe. Um, uh, you were doing a weird website of the week. And I quite liked that the idea of writing down awesome things don't have to be big, awesome things. Exactly that. And that, that's the whole point. They're small, mundane, trivial. We're going to get to that. But he's spent over 200 weeks on the bestseller lists. He's uh, got a book, The Book of Awesome, The Happiness Equation, Two Minute Mornings, You Are Awesome. You see the theme here? Yeah. It's emerging. Yep. And his newest book, Our Book of Awesome. And he's one of the best-known, biggest self-help gurus around. Can I ask you something? As a Brit, does the word awesome, is it just too much for you? It's a bit much, yeah. It is, right? Yeah, it is a bit much. It's a very American word, I feel like. It's a a word that I reserve for, like, it needs to be... Something truly awe-inspiring. Truly, yeah, top shelf. Like, I feel like it's an overused word. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. That I mean, that chicken dinner was awesome. No, yeah. it wasn't. I can see it as was... a Brit that that's just too much, like it too is. overdone. It is. But that's just our tendency to overuse our words anyway. So when something really, truly incredible happens, we don't have anything to go for because yeah. we've already used awesome on, you know, something mundane. Something that's trivial. just yeah. okay, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just all right. It was okay. But okay, yeah, point taken on that. And I'm, and I'm, yeah, it did occur to me when I was, was chatting to Neil. But um, listen, he's made a career out of it and a very good one at that. He also hosts the award-winning ad-free, sponsor-free Top 100 iTunes podcast, Three Books, where he's on a 15-year-long quest to uncover the 1,000 most formative books in the world. And I think it's an amazing concept, this. Oh, I love that. Yeah. He gets on guests and they each tell him the three books that have meant the most to them. You know what Um, I absolutely love about this is, you know, in school, it's like you have the classics. The classics aren't necessarily the things that impacted you the most, right? And we don't really have a list of those books. And that's such a cool concept. We don't. And his his list, we'll get to it, but you can actually have a look and see what the books are online on his list on his website. But first, I wanted to find out how his original 1000 Awesome Things blog started. In the span of a few days, I lost my marriage. I lost my house. Because when you're not married, you don't want to live together. (laughs) And I lost my best friend, sadly, to a suicide. And so it was in the throes of this moment in time that I decided to start a blog called 1000awesomethings.com as a way to try and cheer myself up, Robbie. All I was doing was coming home from work every night and trying to think, force myself to think of just one good thing in life. And honestly, I wasn't very good at it, right? My very first post was Broccoflower, the strange mutant hybrid child of nature's ugliest vegetables. It's the green cauliflower that you see like once in a blue moon. But then over time, I started writing about wearing warm underwear from out of the dryer. I started writing about getting called up to the dinner buffet first at a wedding. And everybody who's been to an Indian wedding knows the the value of getting mutter paneer before the paneer's all gone, you know? Yeah, sure. So it was these these little moments that started to slowly, slowly, slowly bring myself out of this dark place. So it was kind of an inadvertent tactic initially, but it was to focus on mundane, trivial, everyday stuff – that we all take for granted. And he later discovered, Neil, that all the research suggests that being specific with one's gratitudes has a greater effect on one's well-being as opposed to being grateful for things like family, food, friends, etc. Right. And it's vague. It's not going to do you any, it's any so good in broad. the long run. It's so broad. It's not really changing that no, much on a daily basis. No. But those little daily joys... 
That's I can it. see that. That's it. And he stumbled upon this. So he began plugging away with his 1,000 Awesome Things blog back in 2008, writing one entry per day. Um, that was 15 years ago. We weren't yet living in a digitally expansive world. So how did the blog snowball? My mom sent it to my dad, my traffic doubled overnight, and then slowly over time, if you typed in the word awesome into Google, my blog came up first. Wow. The reason it came up first, so if you just type in the word awesome, it was the first hit. So if anybody wrote awesome or awesome things or find something awesome, my blog came up first. It was just an accidental I called it a thousand awesome things. So I guess Google or those little bugs that are secretly <laughs> scrolling in the background of all our websites, they figure this guy knows what he's doing. So I just kept writing them, flipping to the cold side of the pillow in the middle of the night, waking up and realizing it's a Saturday. You know, you thought you had to go to work, but now you don't or whatever <laughs> it is, right? When you went to the gym yesterday, so now you don't have to go today. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of catering to my own sort of, yeah. you know, I guess lazy persona, <laughs> right. you know, but but there was a resonance there. The blog took off. It got over a hundred million hits, and I was invited by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences to come down to New York City, and I was given two awards for best blog in the world. That spawned a, a, a literary and publishing bidding war to turn my blog, one thousand awesome things, into a book called The Book of Awesome, and now here we are a decade later, and I've just published the very first sequel to that original book called Our Book of Awesome. That's the one that just came out a few weeks ago, and here we are, 10 books, 2 million sold later, still talking about the pleasures of these simple little things and the, how they can really turn our brain around. It's not just Neil Pasricha going through a divorce. It's anybody out there listening who just knows that they have the capacity to think a little more positive. It's not your fault. The world is designed to make you think negatively. We got to bust out of the shackles of our cell phones and start focusing on the things that make life sweet again. The Off Script Podcast. So Neil is a self-help guru, Chris. That's his sort of day job. He used to work at Walmart in the corporate offices of Walmart, and now he is a self-help guru through this blog. And the blog took off. He explained that that led to the book deals, loads of good stuff happening. He was chomping to issue some practical advice. He was just itching to. So I was all ears. After telling me to leave my phone out of the bedroom and buy an alarm clock, which we've covered ad infinitum, so I'm not going to get into that. There's a joke in there somewhere. He arrived at his go-to prescription for getting your day off to a good start. Now, for me, here's the thing I'd say, is that in our brains, we have a visual cortex, okay? And in the visual cortex, we have an area called Area 17. So when your husband puts the toilet seat down, you know, maybe it lights up. But if you journal about it at night, if you write about it at night, or you write about it the next morning, it lights up again. And if you read your own journal, it lights up a third time. So what I say to people, Robbie, is this. Start your day like I do with something called the two-minute morning practice. It's very simple. You don't need anything. You just need a pen and a piece of paper. You write down three things every day. Number one, I will let go of... Number two, I am grateful for. And number three, I will focus on. 
Each of these three prompts is backed by a litany of positive psychology research that proved that they actually help to turn your brain into a positive space. I will let go of, and you know I have a lot I can write, to, I will let go comparing the success of our book of awesome to everybody else's book that's higher than me in the best hour. Let's look at Prince Harry's book, look at Michelle Obama's book, look at Bob, <laughs> I could go, I could drive myself batty trying to, trying to beat all these people, I never will, right? Never mind the fact that I haven't spent enough time with this person that I love or I haven't called this friend. There's lots of things you can let go of every day. That I am grateful for. It's exactly what we're talking about. This is my prescription for happiness. Find one or two small pleasures. We know from the research you only need five a week. Okay? When my four-year-old daughter, Sonia, learned how to write the letter S. When the rescue dog we got in the pandemic stopped peeing on the sheets. Right? (laughs) When I actually found my keys in less than five minutes when I was trying to leave the house. Right? Whatever you want to write down. Then I will focus on, Robbie, because we all suffer from decision fatigue. If you're listening to me right now, you know that we're all overwhelmed right now. Right? Anxiety is at an all-time high. Depression is at an all-time high. Loneliness is at an all-time high. We're all feeling this way. So... I will focus on is a little bit of control. It's like, here's one thing I'm going to do today. That's it. One thing, one phone call. It might be, it might be, um, getting the, taking the car in for the oil change that you've been ignoring for the, for the last month, even though there's a light on in your dashboard. It might be cleaning up the home office that's filthy. It might be booking the dentist appointment that, that, uh, you've been meaning to book for a month, whatever. We all have these little annoying things. Together, this forms a three prompt practice. I will let go of, I am grateful for, I will focus on that takes just two minutes to prime your brain for positivity. And remember, my friends, we are all awake for a thousand minutes a day. A thousand. So if you can take two minutes to make yourself happier, well, then according to Sonia Lubomirsky at University of California, you're 31% more productive. You have 37% higher sales. You're 300% more creative. Happiness is the lead indicator to having a great day. I thought I spoke quickly. (laughs) (laughs) You're awake for 1,400 minutes, not a thousand minutes. That fella's Coyote Peterson on steroids. (laughs) He really is. You know what I was just thinking? There must be coaching for these kind of positivity coaches because they have like a similar cadence to them yeah, and a similar way of communicating they'll always like reiterate your name about eight times as they're speaking to yeah, you yeah makes yeah. you feel 10 feet tall and exactly that. that yeah and it's like I was. These tactics, it worked again it right? worked again first chris gardner now neil <laughs> Pasarisha. but you know it is good advice actually and i have to admit i have just got my hands on a little journal have you really? and i am intending to start this because it did it resonated two minutes out of your day yeah start it get into the habit of it And actually, you can see it's totally right. The research would back it up. Scientific research, when you do it consistently, you will. You'll start to feel better about certain stuff, particularly the kind of to-do list sort of stuff. I will just do that. And then you tick it off at the end of the day. And it's just an incremental... The problem is I've got to-do lists. They get bigger. Well, that's the whole point. You just pick one. You just just pick one and it's sort of you isolate something. I kind of like the I will let go of thing because... Mm. That's exactly it. You have a to-do list of 20 things. So even if you tick off two, you don't feel that good, even though that is progress. That's it. Everything's just on top of you. That's it. So Um, letting go of things is pretty nice. So, you know, Neil was, he's very anti-phones, but again, that's something that we have talked about a lot. So I didn't, I didn't want to kind of make a big deal of that. But he did say that this practice, this two-minute journal, improves your disposition immediately. And, you know, it manifests itself in all sorts of cool ways. And, it sort of led ultimately to quite an expansive answer on the great sort of happiness contradiction. 
First of all, I just want to just hang on to that one word you said, anxiety, etc. Yes, I have battled my whole life with anxiety and depressive thoughts. I've not been diagnosed with clinical depression, but I've had these kind of, you know, like a lot of us. And I say, I say this because we're at all-time highs. Dr. Jean Twenge at San Diego State University says one in three college students today has clinical anxiety, diagnosed anxiety, one in three. The National Institute of Mental Health says that 43% of us are experiencing at least one depression symptom today. The Surgeon General in the United States is saying that loneliness is the next major epidemic to hit the Western world. Um, 40% of people now say that they suffer from at least one loneliness symptom. Okay, It's worse for our health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, loneliness is, because we're losing our social connections to people. More of us are living alone now than ever before. And our suicide rates are also at all-time highs. They're 18 per 100,000. Compare that to our murder rates, which are six. Meaning that if you just take the data, we're three times more dangerous to ourselves than everybody else is to us. So you look at the, the world today, it looks like a pretty negative picture. Meanwhile, don't we live in the most abundant time ever in human civilization? Like, I've been to Abu Dhabi. I've been to Dubai. I know how, like, don't we live in the most abundant world ever? Yeah. Like, don't we, can't you press a button on your phone and, and a car will just pick you up. And by the time you get home, you press another button, there's a hot meal waiting on your porch. I mean, come on, right? We live like kings, right? But here's the thing. We don't seem to be observing it internally. And I think there's a root issue for this. I think that it's because partly the model for how we're taught on how to be happy when we were kids is backwards. When I grew up, my parents, again, Indian immigrants said, if you do great work, then you'll have a big success and then you will be happy. You know, study really hard, then you get straight A's, then you become a doctor, right? We've all heard this. Work really hard, then you get promoted, then you're happy. It's not like that though. After reviewing over 300 studies in the science of happiness, that model's fundamentally backwards. It does not go great work, big success, be happy. Like we're taught, it goes the opposite. If you can be happy first, then you do great work, okay? The research from the University of California said, like I said, you're 31% more productive, you're 37% higher sales, you're 300% more creative. We promote those people more and then the big success comes later. Two kinds of success. Happy people are 40% more likely to get a promotion in the next 12 months, okay? So if it's career success you want, you're gonna get it. We like happy bosses, we like happy teammates. Those are the ones we promote. Okay, and if you want to zoom out to the bigger picture, happy people also live. They live an average of 10 years longer. They live longer. What I can get behind of what he said is that we're socialized into this way that is bound to make us unhappy, yeah. right? This idea of work hard, get somewhere, when we all know that's not true. It's so true. Right? I, I, I think... do I do think that, I mean, yes, work hard, sure. But the point is, is like he's saying, just find contentment or happiness first, be grateful first, instead of just trying to get somewhere to end some end goal to then allow yourself to be happy. I think so. And I think it's compounded by, you know, advancements in technology, which have actually had the reverse effect that they're supposed to have. In other words, they've not brought us closer together. They've kind of driven a wedge between mm. everyone. Mm. So it's that, you know, bogus model coupled with, a, a diversion of, of one's mobile device or whatever it may be, yeah. um, leading to kind of feelings of anxiety, unfulfillment, all that sort of stuff. All that stuff. Getting onto his podcast, it is a good concept. It's called Three Books. It's styled as an epic 15-year-long quest to discover the 1,000 most formative books in the world. 
Neil is a major advocate for reading, particularly fiction. Why? 57% of people read zero books for pleasure last year. I'm saying zero, none, zero. This comes from the American Time You study. So why should we? Why should we bother to read fiction? Why should we bother to read stories? And I'm not talking about my own books. I write nonfiction. The Book of Awesome, The Happiness Equation, Two Minute Morning. This is nonfiction stuff, self-help stuff. But the reason we should read fiction is because there was an incredible study done. They actually looked at MRI scans of people's brains. And they found that if you read fiction, then it opens up the mirror neurons in your brain responsible for empathy, compassion, and understanding. My last corporate job before I quit to be a writer full time, I spent 10 years at Walmart, the world's biggest company, as director of leadership development. My job was to grow managers to directors, directors to VPs, VPs to SVPs. And you know what the number one gap is amongst all leaders at all levels? Like what prevents them from getting promoted? Guess what it is, Robbie? Empathy, compassion, understanding. Tony, you're awesome at your job. Tony, no one likes you in the meeting. Tony's not getting promoted. We can't send Tony to empathy class. It doesn't exist. Right. So if anyone's listening saying you want to grow your leadership skills, not just at your not just at your place of work, but also as a as a mother, as a father, as a sister, as a brother in your family, in your community, we need leaders everywhere. Then you can read a couple pages of fiction. And when you read, you're not you, you're someone else. Mm. I'll say a quote. I stole this quote from Game of Thrones. It goes like this. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Powerful. That is powerful stuff. Mm. So Neil, who wasn't reading, he admitted that he didn't read that much. Um, he did a bunch of sort of things to up his reading rate. He moved his TV to the basement. Um, not likely to happen in either the Greenfield, McCarty or Rapani household. Actually, probably most likely to happen in the Rapani household, I would suggest. What? Getting rid of the TV? Yeah, yeah. or just moving it somewhere else. Actually, do you even have a TV? <laughs> I yeah. you. yeah. <laughs> You're one of those like, laptop only. Yeah. Or... The idea of coming into Chris's house and not seeing a TV as the centrepiece of his lounge is oh, just... It's unthinkable. on having four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> he wants more screens. He wants to be like an investment banker, <laughs> just looking at screens, but just in sport, not banking. Uh, so he moved his TV to the basement. He replaced it with a bookcase. He subscribed to a bunch of reading lists. He told people what he was reading to kind of add accountability, he said. And in the first year, he read 50 books. And then he upped that rate to 100. And ultimately, that inspired his podcast. There's no book shame and there's no book guilt. That's one of my biggest adages for my podcast. My podcast is called Three Books. The first value is no book shame, no book guilt. You could read, you could read comic books. You could read young adult. You could read fiction, fantasy, nonfiction uh, doesn't matter. We have we have lathered on, we have lathered onto reading this expectation in our society that it's got to be smart books or big books. Forget that. No, it doesn't have to be. Read whatever makes you happy. Read Spider-Man comics, whatever. No book shame, no book guilt. So I was so enamored with myself. I wrote this article. The article took off. So then I started the podcast. The podcast is called Three Books. What is it about? Well, I'm committing 15 years of my life to finding the 1,000 most formative books in the world because I don't trust the algorithms. Like you go on Amazon, the recommendation engine is just te is telling you books that people paid to for you to read. So I, I don't believe in that. What I believe in is asking people, people, actual human beings, which three books most changed your life. So I've asked Malcolm Gladwell, Brené Brown, Quentin Tarantino, Roxane Gay, Judy Bloom, you know, um, 
And I sit down, I fly to them, I sit down with them, I sit down with them and I say, which three books must change your life? You know, the the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once just got nominated for 11 Oscar nominations. Well, I'm very lucky, six months ago, I sat down with the directors of the film, Daniels, and I asked them, which three books must change your life? We had an epic conversation. We spent months preparing for it. We talked about books for months over email. I sat down with them for two hours. We talked about books and guess what? Because of them, I read a Kurt Vonnegut book that I would never have heard of, right? I, re- I read uh, all these interesting, so it's a wonderful format to to do something that we're not doing in society, which is finding genuine ways to find the books that change your life. I'm listening, anyone who tells me, Oh, I, I tried reading and it, you know, I, I couldn't get through page two and so I'm not a good reader. It's not you. The book you picked up sucked. And that's going to happen a lot because there's over 200 million books for sale. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is not, is not, the challenge is just finding one that you love. And oftentimes, I'll be honest with you, it's like Charlotte's Web. You know, I, I interviewed Mohsen Hamid from, from Lahore, Pakistan, the author of The Reluctant Fundamentalist and, and uh, how to, how to win how to get filthy rich in rising Asia and these wonderful books that are very popular in Asia and in the Middle East. And he said, Charlotte's Web, Charlotte's Web, because for me, it transmuted death from something to fear to something to be sad about. I'm absolutely knackered <laughs> listening to Neil. He is he be a lot in there, a lot of books in there. The idea is fantastic. It really is. You've already alluded to it, Rob. Three books podcast idea is fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love this idea. I love what he's talking about. I think it's just that he sounds like he's had about 18 coffees. Yeah, I mean, you got him early in the morning. I think, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, it was in the evening for me, so it must be That's... morning in Canada. But, but no, I think it's a great structure which I think if you go to a Quentin Tarantino, yes. and you, you've already got a profile, you know, you've got, you're a best-selling author, so you've got that. And it's, a, you know, all those interviews that Quentin Tarantino's done about the films he's made, this one, I'm well, sure would have piqued his interest. I mean, it's not too dissimilar to Desert Island Discs, which I know is massively popular over yeah. in the UK. Of course, that's where music, people talk about the music that has kind of changed their lives. Not too dissimilar. No. It's just the books. But no. I like how that he's like chronicling them and sort of figuring out which ones are the most recommended, making a list out of it. Uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I I had to ask just finally, which book had been cited the most by all of Neil's guests in the podcast? Charlotte's Web has come up a couple times. The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand has come up a few times. Uh, The Wind and the Willows has come up. Um, Yeah, I keep up right on the website, which is threebooks.co. You know, you can click the top 1000 and it's a list of every formative book people have read. So if anybody's listening to this thing, well, I need a list of books. Remember I said, look for trusted curated lists. My show has purposefully no ads, no sponsors, no promotions. No one can buy their way on my list. It's just people I ask. If you go to my website, I got a list now of 300 books that are life-changing by definition to people. You click the link. I don't link to Amazon. I link to. I try to find the author of the publisher website. Find it from your used bookstore. Find it from a. You know, find it from a friend. Like, like, let's bring back books as a way to connect our society as a way instead of as a way to you know something to throw into the waste bin and just spend more time on TikTok. Forget that. I want to get rid of TikTok and I want to read books. I mean, here, here to that. I'm definitely mm. on board with him with that. So you can find out more. You can check out the list and find out more about the podcast on three books. That's three, the figure three, books.co. And our book of awesome, a celebration of the small joys that bring us together, which is Neil's latest book. It was published last year. Big thank you to Neil Pasricha. I love that, Rob. Well done. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 